Acts chapter 14. We finished Acts chapter 13 last week, and we're going to pick up in Acts 14 as we continue going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. So in Acts chapter 13, if you remember last week, Paul and Barnabas are preaching, and they're sharing the word of God. And you remember what happened. There was a significant moment where they were sharing the gospel with the Jews. The Jews rejected it, and they said, well, we're going to the Gentiles then. And it's almost like this was your last chance. You didn't get it. And so now we're going, we're going to the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 14, you kind of see that beginning. Even though they're still ministering to Jews, their, their ministry begins to include, at least, Gentiles. So Acts chapter 14, 1, it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. This is Paul and Barnabas. They entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. I want to just focus on these, uh, this first couple verses here for a few minutes before we rush, rush ahead. But notice, first of all, a couple things. So Paul and Barnabas come in, they, they bring the word of God, and it says a great number believed. I mean, we don't know how many, but we could presume that that was the majority, because it said a great number of both Jews and believed. But then there were the unbelieving, and we could presume they're in the minority based on what this scripture is telling us. So you got a great number that hear the word of God, and they believe it. Now, we know that belief and faith is the key to everything, right? They hear the word of God, they believe it, and according to what we know about Scripture, that's how salvation comes. You hear the word, or you could say you hear truth. You recognize it as truth. Faith rises in your heart. You believe something, and according to the Bible, by believing that truth, your spirit is born again and you become a new person. Isn't that what we believe? It's a miracle, it's, it's powerful. And you see, this is why Satan fights truth so hard. Because it's, it's truth that causes salvation to come into a person's life. And so immediately you see that opposition. You've got a, and boy, if it were only that easy, you know, to preach the word, a great many number believe, everybody saved, glory to God. Then we just go on to the next city and it just keeps on going like that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be amazing if on Sunday morning I preached, you know, to the, the, big, the big group that was here and everybody just believed and then everybody went out and everybody they told just believed and it just kept going from there. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, that's verse 1, but now look at verse 2. So they, they believe a great number of Jews and Greeks believe, but then verse 2, but the unbelieving, the ones that rejected truth, the ones that heard it, but didn't believe. They heard the preaching of Paul the apostle, but when they heard it, they rejected it. It was not mixed with faith. They did not believe it. The unbelieving Jews, they now weren't content just to not believe themselves. They wanted to take the ones that were believing, and the Bible says that they poisoned their minds. They poisoned their minds. In other words, they now, now, so think about these Jews and Gentiles that believe. You've got a mind that maybe we'll say is neutral, okay, a neutral mind, a neutral heart. 
truth comes in and they go, I believe that. On the other side, poison comes in. And now they've got a battle going on. And this is the same battle that you and I fight every day for our culture, for our world, for our, for our own lives, for our children, for our coworkers, for our family members. This is the battle we fight over and over. Have you ever spoke truth to somebody over and over and over and over and over again, just seemed like they wasn't getting it? Well, that's because there's some poison coming in on the other side. And you go, well, my goodness, where is this poison coming from? Well, all you got to do is look around. All you got to do is turn on your television. Think about what he's talking about here, poison. Po- what, is, what does he mean, poison? Poisoned your mind. Well, anything that's in opposition to the truth of God's word. Anything that's in opposition. So every time you turn on your television, okay, every time you look across social media, every time you turn on the radio, there is a person that has either truth or poison in them, and it's spewing out of them into your ears. Right? When we turn on the news, when we turn on the television, we just maybe just watch something. We go, oh, this is just entertainment. Well, it was created by someone that has a viewpoint. It was created somebody that ha- by someone that has a belief system. It was created by someone that has an agenda. And that agenda is either being influenced by truth or it's being influenced by that poison that we're talking about right here. We're calling it poison tonight because that's the word that he used. Another way the Bible puts it is light and darkness. It's very simple, uh, you know, and, and very, and very non-complex. Basically, what a lot of what we have going on in the world, it's either just coming out of the kingdom of light or it's coming out of the kingdom of darkness. And that's influencing people. And as a pastor and as a Christian, you as a Christian, we're combating this all the time. We're combating poison. Boy, how many times uh, do I talk to somebody in our church, maybe in my office or just a casual conversation, and we begin to talk, and almost immediately I can identify the drops of poison that they've accepted into their mind. Almost right off the bat, I can, as I talk to them, I can, I can see the areas of their mind where they've been poisoned. They may have 90% truth and 10% poison in their mind, and, it, and it's stopping them, it's hindering them, it's holding them back. And I've, I've always found this process fascinating because I've, as y'all know, I've you know, been raised in church, been around Christians, believers my whole life, and I've seen this short circuit. So many people that have so much right, but they accept one lie, or they accept one area of deception in their life, and it just it begins to spread throughout everything else. I mean, I could give you so many examples. And think about how natural poison works, okay? If you started every morning taking just a little bit of poison, not enough to kill you, but you just started taking a little bit of poison every morning with your coffee, we all ever watch those like Dateline series where the, one of the spouse like killed their husband or wife, you know, just putting a little poison in their food over time and hopefully y'all ain't never like done that or thought about that, maybe just watched it. Uh, Supposed to all be saved in here tonight, but I, <laughs> I know. I saw the twinkle and something like, I thought about it. I haven't done it, but I definitely 
thought about it. Um, but if you've seen those, like the person starts having health problems, right? They start having minor health problems. It's not obvious. It's not clear. They go to doctors, can't figure it out because they're not looking for that thing. This is abnormal. They're not looking for They're not expecting that someone's poisoning them every morning. It's hard to find it. And they start having heart problems, and they start having lung problems, and they can't believe it. And now their memory's going, and then their body start, stops working, and you can't, they can't figure out what's, what's going on, what's happening. Well, they just are taking a little bit of poison. And in some of those instances, the moment they cut that poison out, they found out what it was, and they cut it out, everything started to improve right from there. And this one little thing that they were taking every day, even though they were eating tons of good food, maybe working out, maybe extra, maybe doing everything else right, this little bit of poison was just destroying their whole life, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And in the moment they found out what it was, and they cut it out, everything started reversing, just turning around. And this, you have to understand, this is exactly how deception works in our lives. And what Satan does is he, he's not like that uh, evil spouse that could do that. See, because you have to accept it. He can't force feed you poison. You have to open the door, and you have to let him in, and you have to accept it. And some of us, again, we just got the tea. I'm amazed at the, the junk that we'll listen to, watch, let, let our kids listen to, watch, see uh, over and over again. Look, let me tell you this. If you have children in your home, if... Forget the TV shows that they're watching. All right? Just forget that. Forget what's coming across the TV as far as the actual shows. If all you did was let them sit and watch the commercials that come on, their minds would be warped forever. Because they're going to see, they're going to be really confused in about five seconds flat why they're seeing two men kiss and why they're seeing, you know, some woman half-dressed dancing doing this. That's not just in the commercials alone. It's so much poison. And what does that do? Well, it's just one drop at a time. No, is it going to kill them? No. Is it going to kick them away from God? No, because they saw it one time? No. But it's a steady drip over and over and over and over again until what I end up seeing is a generation of people by the time they're 15, 16, 17 that are lukewarm, numb, disinterested in church, disinterested in God, disinterested in the Word of God, and, and sometimes almost unreachable because they've had such a steady diet of lies and poison fed into their life. And whose fault is that? Well, it's their parents, clearly. It's their parents. Why is it their parents' fault? Because it's our job as parents to protect them from that. And if, we, if we're not going to protect them, who's going who's to do it? That's why my wife is real good about this. She always, because I'm the one to kind of always look at the generation and go, man, what is wrong with this generation? My goodness, these, some of these young people coming up just lost their, just the, go, the goofiest mindset, craziest mind. And my wife is always quick to point out, well, somebody's raising them. I'm like, man, isn't that, isn't that right? Somebody is raising them. That's correct. And you go, well, it's the world we live in. Listen. You, you don't have a more important job. If you're a parent, you don't have a more important job than protecting their minds from the poison that we're talking about right now. You don't have a more important... Because if you do all these great things and you lose your kids along the way, well, you, you haven't really done much in the eyes of God on this planet. I mean, if you build the greatest business and you become successful, and you, but you lose your kids, your kids don't turn out loving Jesus. I mean, to me, you haven't accomplished much. 
I want my kids to love God. As far as, as much as I have control over it, right? As much as I have control over it. I mean, I don't, you know, again, you're, some, sometimes you're going to do everything you can, and that doesn't mean they're going to just turn out right. We understand that. Like, you're going to do everything you can. But certainly, uh, we need to do our part. And we need to fight for them, and we need to, to protect them. So we definitely, as parents, we have, a, we have a significant role in that. And if your kids are grown and your kids are raised and you look, and everybody, who, I mean, what parent doesn't look back and have regrets or look at ways they could have done things better? You know, that, of course, that's the, but if, you're, if you have young kids and you're still in it and you, you have time to make changes now, it's important to look at that. Because we live in a world where there's a lot of poison out there right now. And I want you to think about how this works in your own life. I, the goal, and I think the point of the poison that Satan tries to bring in our lives, the point is to neutralize the power of the Word of God. That's the whole point of it, is to get you to either question or reject the authority of God's Word. And again, the way that Satan works is he has to get you to accept it. And so he packages it in a way that, you, that, that is palatable. And he packages it in a way that is uh, enticing. That's why I think one of the most powerful influencing agents in our culture right now is television, entertainment. Because it's not somebody coming to you just saying truth directly. It's very indirect. You're watching two people. Oh, it's in a comedy. You're laughing at it. It's packaged in a way that you accept it or you begin to just normalize it. But how much of what we see, and that's not our goal tonight to talk about television or anything like that. I just want you to understand how deception works and how it comes into your life. But how much of what we watch and what we see is actually what I would, I guess, say disrespectful to the Word of God and really dishonoring to the Word of God? And how much of what we see on television, if it weren't on a, if it weren't on a screen, say, but it was actually people in your home doing what you're watching on the screen, you would be... Uh, you would be horrified. But we just, because it's on a screen, we go, oh, it's fine. I wouldn't let anybody come in my home, talk like that, act like that in front of my kids. But for some reason, because it's on a screen, we go, oh, well, it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's just entertainment. Well, the problem is you don't realize, sometimes we don't realize that, no, it actually is affecting you. It's affecting the way you think and the way that you act. Let me give you just a couple quick examples because I want to I show you how I've seen this poisoning happen. All right? So I want to use specifically things that I've witnessed firsthand with, with people that I've pastored, people that I've ministered to, uh, not just at this church, but just in ministry in general. How does this come in, and what ways does this come in? Well, I want to use one example where I've seen it. This would be with adultery or sexual sin. Okay, this is one area where I've seen this a lot. And it, it comes in a very sneaky way, and it comes in a way that people will receive it. So just think about these little drips of poison and how they happen. Okay, let's just use, let's talk about 
adultery for just a moment, being unfaithful to your spouse. Well, it might start with something as simple as this. Man, I feel lonely in this marriage. Just that one little thought. Man, I feel lonely in this marriage. Or one day you look at your spouse and you go, I don't feel like I love them as much as I did when we, when we first got together. What, what is that doing? It's putting a crack in a door that now Satan has something to work with. And what you have to understand is that Satan is very patient. And all he needs is a crack. Just a, lo- just a little crack. And then next, he'll crack it just a little bit wider. And now he's got a finger in. And then next, he'll just keep working it, keep working, until now he's got a foot in. And he'll wait. And those thoughts keep growing. They keep expanding beyond that. They keep growing into other... And before long, this thing happened. People go, well, I don't even know how it happened. Well, I know exactly how it happened. It happened with a thought. It started with a thought. It started with accepting a little bit of poison into your life. And then you nourished that poison and you fed it until it grew and it grew and it grew and it expanded into something that you never thought that you would do. So it doesn't happen overnight. Now, I used that as an example, and it's just that in this this example. is not meant to call out that one thing. It's so many things in our life that it works like this. I mean, I've watched it happen. All of us have watched it happen in our culture on some major issues that maybe nobody thought 20 years ago that you would ever see happening. I mean, because I'm not that old. And so I remember when I first started in the ministry, you know, 20 years ago, uh, the homosexual thing was just starting. As far as, no, it wasn't just starting, but it was just starting as far as being accepted on a wide span. Of course, it was there and had been there for decades, but the, the vast majority of culture didn't accept it. What's changed? What happened? What's been, the, what's been the difference? Well, because whatever crack formed in the 60s, 70s, whenever, whatever little crack formed, everybody thought, oh, that's just a fringe thing on the outside. It'll never be accepted, you know, on a large scale. It'll never be, you know, it was a crack, and Satan's patient, and he worked it year after year after year until it just kept expanding and expanding, and then it just snowballs from there until even Christians today can't make up their mind about this issue. Mind-blowing to me. Like there, There's a few things that are clearer in Scripture. Okay? A few things that are clearer in Scripture. And this is what concerns me for Christians sometimes as a pastor, is when I see things that are so clear in Scripture, no way to argue it, and still can't get it right. Still can't get it right. And I'm, and I'm going, man, you're not going to find much clearer than that issue, and if you can't get it right on that, then what is it going to look like in your life in the end times where Jesus said it's going to be the most deceiving and deceptive time that the earth has ever seen? And that many people will be so deceived that they'll reject Jesus and they'll follow the Antichrist. Many believers. And people go, how? I don't know how that could happen. I say, I know how it can happen because I'm watching them over Simple issues that are clear, that are not even deceiving, and they can't get it right. Why? Why? How could that possibly happen? Well, I think it's a few reasons. One is we don't have 
a, a strong enough commitment to the Word of God. Many don't even read their Bibles. And I'm going to say this. Your only defense against deception is how much word you know. Your, your only protection against this poison that we're talking about is how much word you know. It's not how smart you are. Not how much of a great intellect you have. Not how long you've been in church. Not how, long of a, how much of a great Christian you are. It's none of that. It's how much word do you know and what respect and value do you give the word of God in your life? I'll give you an example. Uh, my son, actually today, was asking me a, a question about the word of God. And he said, well, I don't understand why people are confused about this. Because he said, you know, the Bible says this and isn't that clear. And I said, yeah, but let me give you an example. I said, you're 14, right? And they read their Bible every morning, my son and daughter. I said, you're 14. I said, what if you read in the Bible tomorrow something that said this? If, if you tomorrow were reading in your Bible and you read something that said, uh, children shall not stay in their parents' household past the age of 10. I said, you're going to tell me like you just read that and you just go, oh, perfect. I'm packing my bags and moving out. I mean, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going to go... You're going to see it, and you, you might see it in the Word, but you're, it's, that doesn't mean it's just easy to just up and, up and do it. No, I understand why people struggle with the Word. Of course, the Bible doesn't say that. I was very clear to him about that. That's, you stay in my house as long as you want. But I'm just saying, it's easy to look at, we were talking about the homosexual thing. It's easy to look at that and go, well, I'm not gay, so that's no problem. I'm, I don't struggle with that. So yeah, those people, you know, this, that, and you're very harsh towards it. Yeah, but what about when it hits home? And I've seen that very uh, often with people where they can see an issue like that that they don't struggle with, and they go, well, I would never do that. Then it comes to one that they struggle with and won't, and all of a sudden now they can't see clearly. Now all of a sudden, well, does that word really mean that? Or is that really how God, well, that was Old Testament. And they start doing the dance because now it's an issue that hit close to home. I, I, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, okay, but this is a reality that we deal with in our lives. How many people do I know that will judge, accuse, condemn, you know, be disgusted by homosexuality, but they don't think nothing about living with or sleeping with somebody before they get married. I mean, like, like what? Because that's, because that's me. That's my issue, and I don't want to. No, no. I don't think in the Bible it's all classified under the same subheading, sexual immorality. And I don't know that one is, you know, worse off than the other in God's eyes, yet we'll quickly condemn that, this, or the other. But uh, somebody else's issue and problem, but when it comes to ours, then we start, and I've heard it all, that's why I know, because I've heard it sitting in my office, I've heard people do the dance. Well, you know, we have this circumstance, and this and that, and we're, you know, we're married in our hearts, and, you know, that kind of thing, you know. So, all I'm saying is, let, you know, the point in discussing this is not to go, oh, those people, they're so deceived. No, what I have found is that every one of us in the right area, every one of us on the right topic, in the right subject, will have a tendency to want to explain away the Word of God because we don't like that one part and what it says about us and our situation. I've seen lots of people that love the Word of God, 
follow the word hardcore on the word. But when it comes to Ephesians 5 and talking about wives submitting to their husbands, oh, hold on a minute now. That's a whole nother thing. I, ain't, I don't know what that meant. It didn't mean that. I'm just saying there's a lot of verses in there <laughs> that are hard. You notice I'm talking about this on a Wednesday night, not a Sunday. You know, I don't, I don't want everybody mad at me or anything, but hey, it's still on live stream. They can watch there too, but you know, there's, but the point, you got to see that tendency in you to pick and choose the Word of God. And again, you can see in somebody else's life real easy where they're deceived and where they're off and where they're making a mistake. Yeah, but we all have that tendency. That's that sin, that's that flesh in us that on the, give, get on the right topic and watch how somebody can skew and spin real quick the Word. And what I'm saying is we have to elevate and hold the Word of God to such a high level in our life that even when it does hit home, we yield to it and we submit to it and we surrender to it because we just trust God that much. And we just believe the Word of God that strongly. And listen, if you have an area of your life that you're not submitted to the Word, you have to understand this process. It can, it can expand beyond that. In other words, if you have even a single area of your life that you know the Bible says this, but you're not doing it, and you're not living it, and you think that you're just like safe because this is a little compartmentalized area over here, it doesn't work like that. Because when you let poison in and you let deception in, it will eventually spread. That's just, that's just Satan's little crack in your life that he's working right now to try to get in everywhere else. And I've seen it, I don't know how many times I've seen it in pastors and churches, they get soft on one little issue. All of a sudden now they can't figure out if there's a hell or not. Well, I don't know if there's a hell. You know, we know there's a heaven, but I'm not sure about the hell. I don't know if there's hell. You know, even though there's clear scripture on it, and next thing you know, it's a snowball. And you'll, you'll watch one thing after another drop. Because once you, once you accept one thing, once you question one thing, it's just a domino effect from there. Because whatever processes you used to explain that away and accept that, you'll use those exact same ones for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you have to understand this literally is the only tool that Satan has. It's all he has. That's why it's so important. It's why we have to spend time talking about it. This literally is the only tool that he has is to get your thinking wrong. All he has, he can't show up. Look, people talk about the devil like they're scared of the devil. Oh, don't say that. The devil will hear you. You know. <laughs> Listen, the devil is powerless. If you're a believer, the devil is powerless in your life to make you do anything, to cause you. You can't blame the devil for anything. All right. All he can do is put thoughts in your mind. All he can do is put thoughts in your mind. And when, you don't, when your mind is weak or defenseless because you don't know the word, and then you let those thoughts hang around, you meditate on them, you think them, you nurse them, you nourish them, and they grow, all he's doing is influencing your behavior through your thinking process, and that's all he can do. He can't do anything more than that. Anything he wants to do in your life... He has to get you to do it. He has to get you to consent to it, to take that step, make that phone call, send that 
text. Open that website. He has to get you to do it. He can't do anything. He can't make you do that. He can't do that. All he can do is plant the thought in your mind. And if we don't learn that and know how to battle that, then we begin to accept it in our mind. So this is the biggest, one of the biggest issues with Christians. We've got it wrong on so many issues, and every time it stems back to you just, you just didn't stick with the word. You know, if any, any area we've got it wrong on sexuality, gender, marriage, you know, uh, even doctrinal issues like, you know, grace and other, any area we've got it wrong is, is because we just bought a lie. We let a lie hang around. We nursed it. We thought about it when we should have just flat out rejected it right from the beginning. And I've walked this process out, process out multiple times with the Lord where thoughts have come in my mind, things about scriptures I've read, questions I had. And I'm a researcher. I'm an analyzer. I like to dig. And there's times where I knew from the Holy Spirit, you don't need to do that. You need to just accept what I said and trust me. And I said, okay. Because, like, when I was young, younger, I used to really enjoy watching debates online between, you know, a a Christian apologist and like an atheist and just listening to them debate and talk and you're hearing viewpoints on both sides. But the problem with that is one side is spewing poison constantly. And you have to be careful about that. You know why? Because no one is above that. I mean, Adam and Eve were deceived right out of the gate. Back up before that, Satan was deceived. Satan fell. He was in heaven. He was in the perfect, in the presence of God. So no, no one's above that. King Solomon, the wisest man on the earth ever to live, didn't make it all the way to the end because he let in deception. So no one's above that. There's no mind, no intellect, no spirituality, no spiritual person who's above that. And actually the Bible warns that and says that uh, if you think you stand to take heed lest you fall. In other words, when you think you're strong and you think, oh, I'm invincible, he said that's when you're actually in danger. So sometimes I talk to Christians and they're like, oh, well, I read this book or that. I said, listen, I, maybe, you're, hey, fur, maybe you're further along than me and maybe you should be pastoring me, but I'm just telling you, I wouldn't read that. And you're telling me you're okay with hearing that, reading that, and I wouldn't do that because I have those parameters and those boundaries in my life and I understand how deception works. And I don't want to give the enemy any tool, any seed, any, anything to work with in my, in my mind. Amen. Amen. So, again, keep in mind that Satan is very, very good at this. And he begins with a very low-level, almost harmless deception. Something harmless enough that you will accept it. I've seen people that they believed the Word of God, they, they believed what the Word of God taught about sexuality, but then they had someone in their family that experienced this. And now all of a sudden they, well, i got to re-examine this because, you know, I love this person, I know this person, now all of a sudden i got to re-examine this. Why does, the, why does the Word of God have to be re-examined? I mean, what, the, he got it right the first time. 
But what's changed? Well, the Word didn't change. You changed. Your circumstances changed. Your situation changed. So now you need to re-examine it because you've had this different experience. Well, that's not, how I, that's not the relationship that I have with the Word of God. The Word of God is the final authority in my life. I love my mother and I love my father, but I don't care if they have some... If, if my kids, my family, anything, the Word of God's above that. The Word of God is above my own experience. That's how I think about it. Who is most susceptible to this poisoning and to this deception that we're talking about? Number one is, because we're talking about Christians... Number one is people who have a very low view of the Word of God, or you could say just don't have a high enough view, a high enough view of the Word of God. In other words, sometimes as a pastor, I hear statements like this. Well, I know the Word of God says this, but, and I don't even need to hear what follows after that. Well, I know the Bible says this, but, but what? You just said, I know the Bible says this. There is no but, right? I know the Bible says this and, that might be a better way to say it, but I know the Bible says this and but. I know the Bible says this, but what is that saying? It's saying, well, yeah, the Bible says this. That's just like one way of seeing it. I've talked to people before. I talked to one guy before, and we were, we were discussing some things about the Word of God, and he was a, a Catholic guy good uh, friend of mine, and I said, well, you know, the Word of God says it this way. He says, yeah, I know, but uh, the Pope says this. And I said, well, I mean, the Pope's a man. Like, uh, you got man's word and you got God's word. So if one contradicts the other, which one are you going to go with? He said, well, you know, you just have the, all the traditions of the Catholic Church and you have the Pope this or that. I said, look, I'm, I'm not saying you can't even respect that, but you don't hold that higher than the Word of God, do you? Because one of them has to be higher than the other. So it's pretty clear either God's Word is going to be higher or man's opinion is going to be higher. Which one's it going to be? And for a lot of Christians, it's that way. It's like the Word of God. It's good. It's got good things to say. It's got good advice. It's got good moral codes. But I don't know that we look at it the way that we should. That No, that's, that's not how the Bible views itself. The Bible views itself as perfect in every way, infallible, no mistakes. Jesus said even every, every I that's been dotted and every T crossed is perfect. Every word's inspired by God. That's why, and then sometimes people will say, well, I just don't know if I agree with Paul on that. Hold on a minute. Paul didn't, Paul didn't write it. Paul was an instrument. The Holy Spirit wrote it, and he penned it through Paul, through Luke, through John. You go, well, it just seems like Paul had this attitude. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you're not, you don't have a high enough view of the Word of God because Paul didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote it. The Bible said every word was inspired God breathed every word. And if you don't see it like that and you don't believe it like that, then you have an area of your life where, the, the, where Satan can deceive you in that area. So sometimes, who's most susceptible to this poisoning and this deception? Well, people, Christians, who do not have a high enough view of the Word of God. Secondly, 
who is most susceptible to this? It's people who are open-minded, as they like to say. Well, I'm just open-minded. You know, I'm very open-minded. Well, did you know there's some things that you shouldn't be open-minded about? There, there are some things that you've been a Christian long enough and you've seen enough in the Bible, it ought to be closed case. What, you know, because open-minded, what does that mean? It means open to new information, open to new experiences, open to new understanding. If I, if I had new information or new uh, understanding that came in, I could possibly change my mind. Well, there's some things you don't need to be open-minded about because you already, you already saw it in the Word of God and it's clear. I'm not open-minded about certain things. And that gets on people's nerves, especially the world. They don't understand. It gets on people's nerves and they say, well, that, you know, Christians are just so closed-minded. That's right. You can be closed-minded when you have the truth. I know how that sounds. The only reason you need to be open-minded is if you're not sure. But if, you sh- if you're sure and you know what you have is the Word of God and it's perfect and it's infallible, you can be closed-minded. And if anything I'm saying tonight is irritating you, then you don't hold the Word of God in a high enough view. That's what I'm saying. Because if, if you don't understand it, you don't agree with what I'm saying, then, because if what I'm saying sounds uh, abrasive or it sounds closed-minded to you, that's because of your view of the Word of God. And that's the issue, and that's what needs to change. So, no, I'm actually very closed-minded about a lot of stuff, about a lot of topics. The only time I change my mind on something, because I, I endeavor, I haven't done it every year, but I endeavor to read through the Bible every year. And when I read through the Bible, sometimes I will see something that I was wrong about. Sometimes I will see something that I didn't see correctly before, and I will change my mind on that. I've had things I was taught my whole life that I saw in the Word of God, and I said, you know what? I was not taught correctly about this. This wasn't right. And I changed on that because the Word of God, I, had, I saw something in the Word of God that I hadn't seen before. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Y'all know who wrote the book of Romans? The Holy Spirit. That was a trick question. I got somebody over there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it was Paul. I'm just kidding. But Romans 16, 17. Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. See, that's very close-minded, isn't it? He said, if you come across anybody who's teaching anything different or contrary than what I've been teaching you, he said, you need to avoid them. Just avoid them. He said, don't engage them. Don't talk to them. Don't don't have a conversation. Don't have a debate with them. He said, you need to avoid them. Why would he say that? Because he knows what we've been talking about tonight. He knows that by having a conversation and having a debate that you're going to open your mind to something. You're going to open your mind to some poison that you don't need to have in there. So he said, "I, I appeal to you, brothers, please watch out for those who come in the church And cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they actually serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk 
and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. See, this was a big problem in Paul's day. Almost every uh, epistle, almost every New Testament letter deals with this issue of wrong teaching, heresy, incorrect doctrine coming into the church and how it's affecting Christians. And he has to address it in almost every epistle saying, here's how you guard yourself from that. Here's how you protect yourself from that. Here, he says, you need to avoid people like that. You need to stay away from that. Because they're not actually serving the Lord, but they're serving their own appetites. Now, going back to Acts chapter 4. So verse, uh, four, excuse me, Acts 14, 1. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs, wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So it, it, you see a big turn of events here. They came in. They preached the word unopposed, and a lot of people believed. Then the opposition came in, and it poisoned their minds, and now they had trouble the rest of the time that they were there. They never could quite get that breakthrough that they wanted to have with the people because the, the poison, the deception came in, and it made their job very difficult. Trust me, I encounter this all the time. Churches all across America encounter this all the time. Every time I preach, every time a pastor preaches, he's counteracting poison and deception that's already in people's minds. Every, every, time, every time we read the Word of God and we preach and we encounter uh, resistance, we encounter apathy, we encounter, you know, just lukewarmness and an uncaring heart or attitude towards the Word, what's going on? Well, there's areas of, their, of people's minds where they've allowed deception to come in. They're believing wrong thoughts about the Word of God. You know, even, even in, our, in our church, you know, sometimes I, I kind of, I've learned to tune it out because I'm, I had to in order to preach. But it, this is always in churches. I've been to every church. It's this way. But you get people up and down, up and down, moving, walking all in their phone, going in and out the door. Doing, I'm like, man, if it was a movie, we're at the movie theater. Y'all be holding, y'all be, you wouldn't be going to the bathroom, waiting for the best part. Don't want to miss anything. But no, when it's the Word of God, phew, I'm going to go out, get me some coffee, hang out in the foyer, go to the bathroom, look on my phone, do. It's a very lackadaisical attitude towards the Word of God. And this is a problem. I mean, it's a problem across the Christian body at large. You know, and trust me, look, when I'm preaching, these lights are in my face. I can't really tell who's doing what. I'm not, I don't even know. Maybe everybody in here is, you know, just sitting and not doing that. But I, I see movement. I see things going. And I know because I've been in church. And I've, I'm not, I've not always been the one on the stage preaching. Sometimes I've been in the back, like doing what Brandon's doing or in the sound booth. You know, churches I've always been at. And there's always that. You see people getting up, doing, can't. And I'm like, man, adults, like, it's an hour and a half service. <laughs> can't go to the bathroom before and then, you know, hold it through, whatever. But I understand people have to get up and leave. I'm not, there's legitimate things. But seriously, if you, if you think about it, when you go to a movie theater versus you go to church, 
People don't think nothing about getting up in church four, five times, doing stuff, checking their phone, doing. It's a, it's a lack of respect for the Word of God. I think it's a lack of respect for God. And people can say all day long what they want. They can say, oh, I value the Word. I, I value God. I hold Him in the highest respect. Yeah, but it shows in how we treat it. Come on. Shows in how we honor it, how we honor the Word. So it's very important. I don't know how I got off on that, so I just mentioned that. Just well, Let's move on away from that. But you can see, oh, I know what I was saying because I'm saying that, <laughs> I'm saying every Sunday there's a battle going on. Every Sunday there's a, there's a battle for people's minds. And there's all kind of distractions and things going on and even in people's minds and things going on. And, you know, you'll be given an altar call at the end of service, trying, trying to bring people to Jesus Christ. People getting up, walking out, don't care about being a distraction. I'm not just saying here, I'm saying every church. It's that way. It can be that way. And I'm just saying, if, we, if we're thinking right, that ought to be a time where we are so focused. And we are so, if we understand what's really going on in that moment... That ought to be a time where we are so focused and praying that God is working, moving. And, and you ought to be hooking up with that process so that somebody can come to salvation knowing that Satan, the first part that we read, he's doing his part. Poisoning people's minds, distracting people, things going on. Any little thing that he can do on his end. And so we have, we're constantly fighting that, battling that. In this instance that we're reading about in Acts, you see that process going on. Paul comes in, preaches the word of God. It's effective. It's powerful. People are excited. They receive it. Then the poison comes in. And the rest of the time they were in that city, they had problems. They, they had problems because now people have the truth, but they also have the lie. They also have lies, and it's, it's constantly counteracting each other. And eventually they tried to stone them, so they said, all right, I guess, that's our, I guess that's our cue. So they fled, they went to Lystra, Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. This was kind of even the instruction that Jesus gave. He said, look, if you go to one town, and they accept you, and they accept you the work, man, stay there, preach as long as they'll have you. If they reject it, he said, just wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next one. Last scripture I want to read this morning, is, uh, this evening, is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. And I, I'm reading this because I want us to think about the consequences of going our own way and the, the consequences of what happens when we reject the Word of God or when we allow an area of deception in our life that causes us to reject the Word of God, we're not in line with the Word of God. Maybe that's a better way to say it. When we allow an area of our life to be out of alignment with the Word of God, just year after year, time after time, I want you to see how God sees it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. And this is what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers 
delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof. See, what, what is that reproof? If you, if you turn, in other words, when you see something in God's word, and you turn, you make an adjustment. He says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen and have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but, I will, but will not find me. See, people are uncomfortable with this because we're so used to hearing things like this. We're so used to hearing, oh, you could, you could just come back to God at any time. You could just come back to God at any time. You, uh, anytime you want to repent and just come back to God. Well, <clears throat> that's true in, uh, it's true in theory. That's true in principle, but it's not true in how it actually works out. And here's why. If you notice the first part of this chapter, the mercy of God was very active in the beginning. In other words, while you were going the wrong way, wisdom was calling out to you, saying, here's what's coming. This is what's going on. If you don't turn, here's what's awaiting for you. So mercy and grace were very active in the beginning, saying, stop going this way. You're going the wrong direction. Bring in prophets, bring in signposts, bring in the word of God, bring in books, bring in podcasts, bring in people in your life to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. You need to make an adjustment. And if you keep going this way, there's going to be this, the consequences of this are going to eventually hit you. But after a person has rejected that, rejected that, rejected that, rejected that, not changed, not changed, not submitted to the word, not yielded to the word, they kept going, kept going their own way, this is the process he's talking about. He said, because you've done that, eventually those consequences are going to come home. And he said, and when they come home, then you're going to want to repent. When they finally come home and hit you in the face and you realize that what I've been saying all along is correct, then you're going to want to repent. But guess what? Those consequences don't disappear magically overnight. Why? Because you had a season to repent. You had a space to repent. And you kept rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. And now that those consequences are coming, you're not repenting because you love God. If you were repenting because you love God, you'd have done it a long time ago when he kept telling you about it. You're not repenting because you love God. You're repenting because of the consequences. You're not repenting because you love God and love his word. You're repenting because all of a sudden the consequences hit you in the face. And that's a very dangerous game to play to think that, oh, well, I could just repent at any time and turn back to God. There's a reason why he gave you the warnings over and over and over and over and over and over and over again is because when those consequences come, they're not always just so easy to get rid of and they don't just disappear overnight. You know there are some things that happen in our lives because of sin that, can't be, uh, that just can't be wiped away overnight. I mean, how many of you know and can think of some sin that has consequences that, that can't just be wiped away? For example, if you did something that destroyed your marriage, you, you can't just repent and then you're remarried again. That marriage may be gone forever. 
Now, you may have forgiveness with God, but the consequences don't just disappear overnight. And that's the process he's talking about. This is what he says. Then, verse 28, after that process, yeah, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their feel of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Praise God. This is what I know about serving the Lord. I've seen people that have chosen wrong, 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 wrong. They knew better, knew better, knew better, did it anyway, did wrong, 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 gone wrong, Greg, time, 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 time again. And when everything's falling apart, they repent. And I have seen God show them mercy and grace. I've seen it with my own eyes. But I've seen this process at work too. And all I know to say is, that God knows every situation uh, individually, and he treats it individually. And there are, there are some people that maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't hear that instruction. Maybe they didn't have the knowledge, and they kept going that way. Well, that's treated, that's treated differently. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in one of his parables. He, he was, uh, I'm not going to give the whole parable, but he gave an example of different types of servants. And he said there was, he said, the servant that knew his master's will and didn't do it, There'll be a severe beating, but for the, master, for, for the servant who didn't know his master's will and did wrong, he said, there'll be a light beating. <laughs> I don't want any beating, uh, light or severe otherwise. I just would rather no beatings. I would rather just enjoy the blessing of the Lord. That's where the obedience in the, in the instruction comes in. But here's what I'm saying. When you read this passage and you see God's mentality of, reach out, I instruct, I reach out, I instruct, I send people to preach, I send books, I send my word, and people just ignore, and they go their own way, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and for us to just think that, oh, well, we can do that, and everything will be fine, because then whenever we get ready, all we got to do is repent, and everything will be fine. Can I just tell you that's not how it works? That's not how the grace of God works, and that's not how repentance works. That's not even what true repentance is to begin with. If you're thinking like that, that's not even a repentant heart to begin with. And this is what I know. So many times the consequences of people's choices come home to roost. And, and watching the pain of that and the difficulty of that as a pastor is one of the hardest things that, that, that I have to see. And I know it's not God's heart for anyone. It's not what God wants. And so this is what I say. If you see an area of your life that is in deception, that ha where you've accepted poison, you've accepted deception, go, go and read Proverbs 1, 20 through, 20 through 33 again be, and look at God's heart for, for his people to repent and come back to God. It's not his will to enact consequences against us. He's just letting us know what's going to happen if we don't change. And I want to encourage you, you know, you live, we all live in a very wicked, perverse generation. And that, 
being surrounded by that is constantly trying to make its way and work its way into our mind and in our life. And these two things that we're talking about are connected because if that deception works its way into your mind, it will eventually work it out into your behavior and into your action. And before you know it, as he said, you're not walking in the fear of God. You're not in line with the Word. You're not in line with how God sees a situation or sees a, sees a, a sin. You're totally out of alignment and out of tune with God. And that's not the place that any of us want to be in. Amen?